The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Can you hear now? (laughs) It works if I turn it on. (laughs) Isn't that just how life is? (laughs) So, um, the second talk in this series uh, is about, it's titled, Tending the Heart and the Mind. So I don't know where I got these titles, but anyway, we're going to try to make something out of it. So um, I want to talk this morning about this quality of heart and heart knowing, heart mind, what all of that is, or what I think all of that is. So the Buddha uh, gives us the instruction I want to start out with. And it comes in the Metta Sutta, and he says um, something like, so with a boundless heart, one should cherish all living beings. Sounds good, doesn't it? But uh, how on earth are we supposed to live with a boundless heart and cherish all living beings when we're just regular people? So we might begin by asking ourselves what is being pointed to as heart and how we can understand and actualize this instruction in our own day-to-day lives. So uh, I'm going to begin by uh, telling you one of my teachers offers this kind of an evocative answer to that question. And he says, that which we call heart is an experience known through the cultivation and receptivity of mindfulness and clear comprehension. So I want to repeat that. That which we call heart is the experience known through the cultivation and receptivity of mindfulness and clear comprehension. So the way that I interpret that is that, in other words, mindfulness and clear comprehension in a context like this is a portal to the direct knowing and seeing of what is being pointed to as heart. So heart is that place of knowing where where we actually connect directly and know uh, uh, the truth of what's what we're experiencing. And so seeing with mindfulness and clear comprehension like this, as I direct knowing, it's of course different than knowing something intellectually. So I want to make that distinction as, as I get started here. So in the mix of our thoughts 
and our emotions, our impulses, and our moods um, is the awareness uh, that registers the, proje- uh, the process of our ever-changing experiences. So there's this quality of awareness that knows what's happening, right? We, we, know, uh, we know that we're cold, or we know that we're warm, or we know that we're hungry, or we know, or we know right? This awareness knows. But this kind of awareness, this very natural awareness and necessary awareness, is in itself not what's meant by mindfulness or clear comprehension. This kind of awareness simply registers and mirrors back to us our experience. It doesn't interpret it. It doesn't help us to understand it. It doesn't connect us with our intentions. It doesn't, um, it doesn't feel anything or give us a sense of context. Basically, I just look here, I see paper, a podium. <laughs> I look up, I see people. It doesn't, all I'm doing is, is registering with awareness what's in front of me or what I'm experiencing. So by itself, awareness doesn't help us to bear witness to that which we find challenging or difficult. So it can't help us really understand what's going on um, when we're challenged. It doesn't help us to relate or respond to our experience. It doesn't help us to look into our assumptions, whether they're true or whether they're false, or how they're tweaking us around. And it doesn't help us examine the value and purpose of any perspectives that we're holding. So, um, so it helps us know what's there, but it doesn't help us to actually understand and put context to it. So to comprehend in this way requires what is being referred to as heart. It's the mind's responsive base. And in Pali, there's a word for it. It's called chitta. And that's what is meant when you hear that word. It's, it's meant this, this heart-knowing quality. So um, it's mindfulness that actually uh, connects this bare awareness to that aspect of Chitta, our heart. So going back to where I started, my teacher says that what we call heart is the experience known through the cultivation of mindfulness and clear comprehension. Does it make sense? Where, yes? Okay. No? Question now? Please. Do it with the mic. I guess I'm not getting how we are aware without interpretation. You use so an, there's you this use an example, the podium. That's a big interpretation of colors, angles, that sort of thing. Right, right. So, so, so 
mindfulness and clear comprehension, as it's being referred to here, is different than intellectually knowing podium. Okay. Um, this quality that I'm talking about, are pointing to as heart knowing, is that which gives us understanding about um, the the actual experience that we're having, rather than just registering hot or cold. It really helps us to understand. Uh, uh, I would have to create a, a situation where we, where an emotion arises, right? Awareness would recognize the emotion, but this heart quality would understand what's happening. Does that make sense? No. No. I'll okay. wait. I'll All right. Wait. No, no. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're saying it because if it's not making sense to you, it might not be making sense to other people. So, um, so there's there's this quality of bare awareness that simply recognizes what's in front of it. It's like a mirror. You're in front of the mirror, and the mirror reflects your image back to you, and you see the image. The heart quality understands what you're thinking about the image and whether it's wholesome or unso wholesome, whether it's um, judgmental or free of judgments. You see, so I look in the mirror in the morning and I think, oh my God, I didn't get enough sleep last night. You see, this bare awareness simply is the reflection I'm seeing. But the interpretation that I put on the reflection is something that can be known through the heart. And that's what I'm talking about is this quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension. It gets a little bit dicey when you try to talk about mindfulness because people really define it in so many different ways and on so many different levels. It can be thought of as momentary or moment-to-moment awareness of what's arising which could get confused with this, this thing I'm calling bare awareness. And it could also be known as that which remembers. So when the mind is called back to the object of meditation, um, it's sort of remembering. And, and this, is, this is how my teacher would, would define it. And the way that I'm pointing to it, to mindfulness and clear comprehension here is that quality that knows and comprehends um, at a very deep level. Hard to put words to it, but are others getting confused? Or <laughs> is this clear? Please, I, I, I don't want to go on unless I know that I've got you. Bill. There are two other words that um, kind of confuse me, and I don't understand their relationship to what you're saying. One is the kind of, uh, I know that I know, that uh, Upan Sayadaw uh, teaches. And the other one is the concept of gnosis. Of what? G-N-O-S-I-S. Uh, it's a Greek, a Greek word for knowledge, mm-hmm. but it is directly perceived or embodied knowledge mm-hmm. rather than that 
which is intellectual. And it seems to me that what you're describing is can be discriminated from both of those. Is that correct? Um, I'm not, it's, I think it's correct, but I can't <laughs> say definitively. Um. What you seem to imply is that there is uh, a knowing through the lens of the Dharma. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and the distinction that I am trying to make is that there's this quality of awareness that we all have that allows us to register experience, to know phenomena, to know the stream of phenomena that is happening all the time, sort of a mind stream of phenomena that's happening. It registers it, but it doesn't understand it necessarily. It doesn't, it doesn't um, give us access to interpretation or understanding. It doesn't help connect us with our intention and our meaning. And, and it also doesn't necessarily feel. So I've, I've given talks on mindfulness before, and, and people really get upset because they think mindfulness means that if you see things, then anything is okay. And it doesn't make any, any difference what has happened. Um, you're, 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 it's just going to be fine. So I gave a talk once and somebody somehow got the idea that it was okay that the World Trade Centers were bombed and brought down if you could just see that with mindfulness or something. And that's not at all what I'm pointing to. But you have another question. I see it coming. No, it's Mick. the same question, really. Uh, so when you talk about, you're trying to bear awareness. I mean, that's a hell of a thing to try to define. I guess I'm not quite seeing how we are aware of anything without some implied interpretation. Mm -hmm. Or are you just talking about mazes of colors and movement? Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, mazes a, of colors and movement. I, we have I'm no idea about what we're the seeing. awareness that knows contact. Okay, that underlies. Right. Okay. There's one more question, and then I do want to go on. Please. <clears throat> is the maybe the confusion is that the, the mind, hold the, it right to your mind. Well, the, the, the awareness you're talking about maybe is something that we can't perceive. Maybe the subconscious perceives it. You know, as you're walking down the street, you're aware of many things, but it doesn't mean that you interpret it. Is that what you? Maybe that's the confusion. Is that am I getting something wrong here? That could be a way into understanding it. Yeah. So when we're meditating, um, <clears throat> we might be um, uh, we might be aware of thinking and emotions, but not understand what what's actually occurring to us with the thinking and emotions that are being known. So we might know the process of thinking is occurring, but we might not be able to understand the impact that it's having on us 
in the moment of our meditation. Does that make sense? So, you know, during the meditation, I was, <laughs> I was thinking. And um, when I knew I was thinking, I mean, I knew I was thinking, awareness knew that thinking was happening, but I wasn't really, cl- I w- my mindfulness wasn't bright enough when I was just in this sort of inert knowing of thinking. So maybe there's another way to say it. It says, with mindfulness, the heart learns how to engage in a full and clear way. And, and the kind of witnessing that happens with mindfulness isn't merely that bare or inert uh, kind of awareness. And it allows the development of the mind to unfold and flower into what's known as clear comprehension. So when I was in Burma, my teacher would always say, you know, mind sati, <laughs> mindfulness and clear comprehension, do you know what's actually happening? You see? He kept saying it over and over again. It took me a while to get the distinction between what, was, what I thought was being mindful and what he meant as being mindful. And I think this is what he meant. So I'm trying to give you a, a, you know, a, a bit of that. So, uh, mindful, it's mindfulness, this quality of mindfulness that co- connects us directly to this heart knowing, you know. And, <clears throat> and, and it's said that mindfulness initiates the whole process of awakening. And, um, and again, here are the seven factors of awakening. They all, it's taught that they all issue from the heart. So, my, uh, the factors of awakening are mindfulness, investigation of qualities, vigor, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And these are qualities that have to be understood. You see? They have to be known in a different way than just holding them up to a mirror. You have to understand what this is. But let's switch gears. I want to say there's another aspect of heart to mention, and this aspect is often overlooked, and it's, and it's really important. So for the doctor in the room, <laughs> the, the physical organ of perception, or as a physical organ of perception, the the heart itself emits electromagnetic impulses that monitor and, and uh, respond to the flow of our experiences. So our heart will, will like speed up or slow down or you know, race or relax. And so therefore it sends messages to the brain and the brain, what, what happens is that the brain responds. Say, or the brain sends messages to the heart. I don't know. It could go both ways, I suppose. But um, our physical hearts are literally married to and in a continuous neurological communication with their brain. Is that right? That is right. Great. <sighs> Got that one right. <laughs> Good. So, <clears throat> so basically, the impact on one has a direct effect on the other. 
And when the heart, when the physical heart itself calms down and um, becomes quiet, the message that the brain gets is that things are okay. You can relax. You can begin to quiet down. So, so the reason I'm pointing this out is that it's in that quiet and calm space that we develop the quality of heart knowing that I'm pointing to as mindfulness and clear comprehension. And this quality is naturally receptive and it has to do with feeling. Sometimes it's hard to put words to it, but we actually feel that we understand something. Right? Okay. So when we connect with this kind of heart-knowing quality, it gives us a sense of mental stability. Or maybe it's this mental stability that connects us to this heart-knowing quality. In any event, this, this seems to go hand in hand. And it's, it's where we begin to feel a little bit more grounded. We, we feel more connected. We feel um, sort of more whole. And, and we're not so easily knocked off balance or uh, we're not easily overwhelmed by discursive or restless minds then. So it's, it's then like if we were meditating that we would be able to understand the mind that's being restless and discursive and, and we would have a choice of not responding to that discursive restless experience. We'd have a chance to understand it rather than just recognize that it's there. So um, <clears throat> in some ways, I, I believe that this knowing qual- quality is a product of our willingness to um, cultivate the heart's natural inclination towards qualities like empathy and compassion. These are, these are qualities that are normally associated, associated with the heart. And these qualities allow us, these are inherent qualities, and they allow us to, um, to be with things uh, without rejecting any part of our experience. And, and this helps us to, uh, what it does is it actually begins to uh, uh, direct our attitudes and influence our behaviors. So when we can connect with this heart quality through the cultivation of, of uh, empathy and compassion, for instance, um, uh, we are we begin a kind of transformation, and our lives be, become different. We're we're in touch with uh, we're in touch with ourselves at, in a different way, and therefore we're in touch with other people. And one of the things that happens that certainly happened for me is that uh, when Empathy and compassion arise as, you know, um, as a default response, so to speak. 
one begins to realize that you're not alone in the world, that you're not in this all by yourself, that, that what ki- the kinds of experiences you, you know and you have, other people also know and other people also have. And so this recognition of our shared common humanity is really, really an important insight. It seems like something that you could sort of gloss over, but um, knowing that we're connected allows us to know that there's, there's the ability to have a common understanding so that we're not separate and isolated, which is one of the big problems that people have in the world. So it helps us to dispel the kind of sense of isolation or the feeling of being separated from or separate from uh, that causes us to sometimes defensively act out or shut down. So I'm trying to get into a realm now which is a lot more practical than talking about it at a high theoretical level, like maybe the beginning was. I apologize for that if it was confusing. So knowing that we're not alone supports us and grounds us, gives us access um, to confidence and stability of mind that we know Uh, that we need in order to transform our feelings of separateness. And it it makes it possible for us to honestly accept the conditions and circumstances of our lives just as they've come to be. Just as they've come to be. And so the issue for so many of us um, is that we create our own suffering in a way. I think it's fair to say this. We create our own suffering by not being willing to be with our life experience as it is. And we, we are unwilling to do this because we don't understand what we're doing We don't understand what the life experience is presenting to us, and we also don't understand that we're, in fact, in a mode of habitual rejection and resistance to being with things as they actually are. So it's a question of learning how to be honest with ourselves. I mean, when you cut right to the chase, it's learning how to be honest with ourselves. But in order to do that, we have to be able to see clearly. And so this is not something that uh, comes easily to most of us because we've, we've been sort of acculturated to, to look through multiple uh, lenses of filtering. So... <clears throat> One of the ways that we can do this, and one of the ways that I know works really well, it certainly has worked well for me, is through the direct empathetic and compassionate experience that we can 
that arises when we actually uh, look with mindfulness and clear comprehension at what's going on. So, so when this happens, we, at least this is, again, my experience. I'm going to keep pointing back to what works for me. When I'm able to do this, I'm able to see just how normal it feels when I repeatedly and habitually default to resistance, to resisting my experience. So I'm meditating and I'm sitting in front of a group of people and I'm thinking (laughs) about something. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I shouldn't be thinking, right? I should be meditating. But <clears throat> I'm not meditating. I'm thinking, <laughs> or I'm thinking in my meditation, and I'm resisting the fact that I'm thinking, and I think that I shouldn't be thinking. You see? And all of that is comple- feels completely natural and normal when it's happening. It's so easy to get into this state of judgment, of self-judgment and self-criticism. See? But through mindfulness and clear comprehension, one can see that whole thing unfold and understand it. Is it getting clearer, what I'm pointing to? A little bit? No? We can talk later. <laughs> Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so we can actually nourish this heart-knowing quality as a center of, of uh, strength and knowing that we, can, that we can begin to go back to, that we can begin to create sort of an alternative default mode of response rather than just reacting in the way that we have normally, or in the way that we normally react. So when we develop this capacity to be in this place, uh, it becomes possible for us to make friends with ourselves, to treat ourselves in a much friendlier way. And, And it it allows us to um, understand what this heart-brain relation, the effect that this heart-brain relationship has on our experience. So sometimes what we're, we're having a difficult time with is that we have a physiological response to experience that gets covered over by narratives and story. And actually all that's happening is that um, we're feeling anxious and it's having a physical effect and we're responding to this anxiousness through, through narrative. And this is a natural thing. You, you feel anxious and then you build a story about why you're anxious, you see? And so 
it's really, in a way, it's very comforting to know that um, it's normal to feel anxious. This is what the body does. It feels anxious from time to time. It worries from time to time. It gets angry from time to time. And there's actual feelings that are associated with that. So by tending to this heart-knowing quality that I'm (laughs) struggling here to try to communicate, um, we can actually begin the process of liberating our mind from those stories that we instantly default to. And we no longer have to fight with any part of our experience. We don't have to resist our thoughts or our emotions or any states of mind. We don't have to confront them. We don't have to deny them. And we don't have to lose ourselves in the kinds of narratives and evaluations that really just take us down the rabbit hole over and over and over and over again. So through cultivating uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension, we can eventually learn how to connect and stay with whatever is being known directly. And we can learn to meet our experience with a kind of kindness and empathy and compassion that allows us to not reject anything that's really happening to just hold it with kindness, to see it and hold it with kindness. And, and this, this is another way of, of understanding what is meant by mindfulness. See, mindfulness is actually the linchpin. It's the key to um, liberating literally to liberating the mind. This kind of mindfulness is because it helps us to uh, it helps us to to be with things. It helps us to allow these beautiful qualities like uh, compassion to flower. And compassion is what allows us to not reject our experience. Mindfulness understands that, but it's compassion that gives us the capacity to be present with whatever it is that's going on. And so I'm using compassion, and uh, I should sort of define this uh, a little bit in the context of this talk that compassion would be that quality of love that is the heart's natural response in the, in the face of suffering. So when we have a difficult situation come up, the heart's natural response is, is compassion. And compassion allows us to touch this quality of um, acceptance, and equanimity with things as they really are. So in this way, we can 
address this whole issue of psychological or mental hindrances that obscure our meditations and make our lives difficult. You see, it's like um, once we can see what is happening, once we can under, uh, interpret and understand uh, uh, the arising of a hindrance, for instance, through this kind of a lens, it allows us the capacity to choose to be with our experience in a different way. And it, 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 it actually gives us the ability to let go of things. And it's in this way that we open the heart and can allow sort of boundless love to flow out to all other beings and not exclude ourselves to actually be friendly to ourselves as well. So I'd like to open this up to questions because I feel like um, maybe I was a little bit too theoretical in the beginning and we got a little bit off track or I got a little bit off track. So I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that I've, I'm, Okay, Bill. Robert, since you introduced me as having some medical background. I'm having a little bit of trouble. Since you introduced me. Yeah. um, The brain develops in effect as a, a network that is undeveloped at birth. And so as the brain develops, we lay down wiring that connects different things. Mm-hmm. So um, the experience of being held tenderly connects to the limbic system, which is just the name of the part of the brain that handles emotions. Right. What I have started to understand from what you've said is that the heart-mind actually is a template of the dharmic truth of the way things are, capital T. And so that when we perceive something that is completely congruent with that capital T truth, Mm -hmm. then our experience is embodied for me, it's very strongly embodied in my heart, physical sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vision then becomes clearer so that we experience the properties, if you will, of this truth. Like one of the properties of water is it feels wet. And part of the at least my understanding of the properties of the nature of the Dharma and reality is that one of its properties is love. The properties of blood, did you say? Is love. Oh, love. Um, <laughs> blood, well, maybe farther down the line. Um, but uh, if that is so, 
all of the things that if you perceive things through that reality, mm -hmm. then the natural state is compassion. Mm -hmm. But if our experiences wire things differently so that it goes through a fear center right. rather than a non-fear center, then that's the storyteller of how things are not really true. Right. So that the sense of our being either asleep or being told stories or however it's obscured mm -hmm. is really part of the wiring that we develop after we are born, or some people say even during gestation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that makes any more sense than what you did, but it, at least it's biologically well, uh, true. Yeah, I, I think that it's useful for people to understand, especially when, we, you know, when we're focusing so much on the cultivation of uh, meditative qualities. That's what we do when we come here. But it's important. It, it was really liberating for me to uh, learn that the brain's natural default mode was to look for things that are, um, you know, dissatisfying and dangerous. You see, to, to, it's evolutionarily programmed into us, I guess, to, um, to be on guard all the time, to be looking for trouble, you see. And so it's not natural to sit down and get quiet. We have to learn how to do that. And um, when we get quiet, we can, I mean, me meditatively quiet, uh, the body will respond as well. The mind will slow down, the heart will slow down, um, and, and these things impact us. And so, uh, in my own experience, uh, especially in the early years of, of practice, I didn't really understand when I was having like physical things that I was responding to, physical signals that I was responding to. So I'd feel a kind of an anxiousness or a worry or something, and I have a physio physiological response to, maybe I'd be thinking and I'd start to get worried about something, and then I'd feel it in my body in some way. I'd get anxious or tense or something. My jaw would clench. And so to be able to, to see how these things happen, just to know that it's natural allows people to relax and um, sort of let go of that. Just let it flow through them so that they don't lock it, lock it in themselves. David. Thank you for your comments there. I, it's, I'm going to hang out with you more to actually learn the, the real anatomy of the brain. I can point to it, but David. Well, what I hear you, and I, the way I language this is right effort. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the traditional thing is where a bank robber can be mindful while he's robbing a bank. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
so that's a certain kind of mindfulness, but the way we practice is we're mindful through the lens of this is sounds intellectual, but it's actually physiological. Mm-hmm. We are mindful through the lens of the four noble truths, mm-hmm. uh, through right view, mm-hmm. and 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 through right understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make the effort to. Um, we want to free ourselves. Um, we want to free ourselves from that stress, mm-hmm. and the effort would be relaxing and letting compassion appear, letting goodwill appear. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these are. This is the freeing mechanism of the heart that we engage, um, that that liberates us. Yeah, exactly, and and. As we cultivate those qualities, we also, especially if we tune into our body, we can know when, when access to that knowing is being blocked. Because oftentimes we'll experience a kind of contraction and contentious feeling. And, you know, it's like learning how to just like not just register that but to actually understand that gives us the kind of comprehension that actually is transformative also though there can be a trap in all of this in that there can be judgment if we can't access that so how to just kind of let it suspend and be until with faith that 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 this will come with yeah you're absolutely with right yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's with clear comprehension that we can see what the presence and the effect of judgment, of self-judgment. Sort of suspend all that. Right. <clears throat> exactly. To be, to be with it in that way is really, is really connecting with this quality that I was pointing to here. It's that kind of mindfulness and knowing. Please. Uh, Robert, I thought that, your, that the beginning of the talk was somewhat like the old adage of the finger pointing at the moon. Mm-hmm. It, what you were pointing at was not the moon. Right. I mean, the pointing was not the moon. Right. Um, what I'm going to take away from this, and I really appreciate the last two comments, and I'm going to listen to them on Audio Dharma again. Maybe I will grasp them more fully. Um, But what I'm going to take away from this is the possibility of simply meditating on the connection between the the physical heart and the brain Mm -hmm. and the emotional heart and the mind. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will get where you're pointing someday. I think you're already there. (laughs) Great. Other, other folks? It was really clear to all the rest of you, right? You all got it perfectly? No questions? Okay, good. I knew I could get another one. You were talking about, um, I'm not sure how good I am with this. You were talking about judging the thinking mind and being aware that you were thinking and then going and judging it. So where do you go beyond that once you get to a point where you realize that that's what you're doing does that like open up a, 
adore or do we just sit with that kind of judging mind or well it depends on what's actually happening so there there can be a kind of assumption that if one sees that clearly that it will go away you see sometimes that happens Sometimes seeing it is all that's needed in order for it to release. But other times it doesn't go away. It's just there. And you also see it, and you see that it doesn't go away, and then you might see that you're seeing it, and it's not going away, and you want it to go away. Right? And then you might, <laughs> you might see <laughs> that you're seeing all that, and you're judging yourself because... With all that seeing, it should surely go away. <laughs> and it hasn't. You see? So all of that is actually an act of self-compassion. And that's what you do with it. You hold it with compassion. You don't reject that any of that is going on because that's part of your real experience. You see? And, <clears throat> and so... To cultivate these qualities requires great kindness and, and a lot of patience, you see. And I think that the linchpin is compassion. I, sometimes you can see things with mindfulness, but what you see, I mean, you could see all that just like I described it and still be hooked and it's compassion that allows that to be present and, not, and, and for us not to abandon ourselves. And that's why it's important. If you're going to, you know, with a boundless heart, give love to all beings, you have to include yourself. You know? and, and this is all a process of learning how to actually do this in a kind way. But um, these things all go together, and you can't you can't really access compassion if you don't have mindfulness, because you don't know what's really happening. Once you know what's really happening, it's mindfulness that allows you to be with our uh, compassion that would allow you to be with it. In some situations, it's not always a compassionate response that's called for. <clears throat> Is that clear? Did that help? Okay. Are you scratching your ear or asking a question? No, I'm not scratching my ear anymore. Oh. Did you have a question? No. Oh, I, that's what I meant. Were you raising your hand? <laughs> All right. If there's no more questions, I am going to thank you all. It's 11 o'clock, and I thank you all for um, coming and sharing the Dhamma and um, for your questions. And I, I really hope that I didn't confuse people here. Share your good hearts. <laughs> <laughs>